You know, God made music, right? When Pastor Kareem here, he's like, he told me that uh, in Islam, the religion of peace, if they catch you singing, they will cut out your tongue. Singing is not allowed. And uh, thank God that he is the creator of music. And guess what? He didn't only create one kind. He created all of it. Uh, God, everything that is created by God is good. Satan may use it and distort it uh, at times, but he doesn't own it. And so we need to take back everything God made and use it for his glory. Amen. Amen. I wish I could do, my, my sister's visiting here today. She can play keyboards very, very well. And she, she used to sing solos in church and, and uh, uh, not so much anymore, I don't think. I don't know. I don't hear anymore. But anyway, um, but I got none of that is my point, not what she can do, it's what I can't do, I said, it's about me right now, okay, not her, uh, but, uh, but it's a good thing, because if I could sing, I'd force myself on you, you know what I mean, <laughs> I'd say, sit down and listen to this, man, I'd sing all the time, so Lord knows who to give those gifts to, I guess, um, and I really appreciate them and others, um, I mentioned the class tonight, and uh, on July 28th, right, that's the right date, I, I keep writing the wrong date down, then it gets stuck in my mind. It's the 28th, the last Sunday in, in July. Our kids, it'll be the last day of their ev Evangelism Now uh, training. Dr. Wheeler's coming. You heard that announcement. And, uh, and, and so they'll be hitting the city. And we've got, we want to do that as well as adults. We, we're, we're piggybacking on what the kids are already doing, our young people, our teenagers. And, uh, and so we want the adults to go out. And th this will accomplish a lot of things. We've never done it this way before, so... Uh, who knows what will happen, but uh, we're, going, we're just going to go out there and see what God's going to do. But uh, we're going to try to hand out water with our church label on it in the parking lot, in the, uh, not parking lot, in uh, Gypsy Hill Park. Um, some people will take rolls of quarters to the laundromat, talk to people there, pay for their laundry, uh, stuff like that. Um, so there are a lot of things, basketball, fishing in the park. Uh, most of the things are going to sit around the park on a Sunday afternoon. A lot of people are there just to start conversation. So what I'm going to do tonight and then two weeks from tonight um, is give you a very, very simple way of sharing your faith and using any conversation to get you there. All right? Now, that's a mighty bold claim, um, and, and I can't make you do it if you won't open your mouth and talk to people. Okay? I'll tell you that. Start with, I can't overcome that, and neither can God. If you won't open your mouth in obedience, the only sin that God cannot overcome is your sin of silence. And I'm not saying that he can't overcome the sin. You understand my point. My point is, if you'll open your mouth, God will use it. I mean, I've heard of preachers that just said one word and people got saved. You know, it's not about us, it's about him, right? Amen? All right, y'all afraid to say amen. You think I'm going to take your name down, I'll make you come tonight, aren't you? But I, but I promise you, it'll be, it'll be a very natural way. And I, I am not against any way that teaches you how to share your faith. Because as I like to say, I like the way you do it better than the way I don't do it, right? So anything you're doing is good. But tonight, it's just a very non-threatening, easy, simple way. You won't, you won't really have to memorize anything uh, except just the rough ideas in your head. And then because it always flows from that conversation. So I, I encourage you to that. The reason we're not doing it two weeks hand running is because the Sunday in between, my wife and I will be in Costa Rica, all right? I want you to open your Bibles to Acts 16, and, I, and I'm going to say a little bit about that in a, in a minute. Usually we don't, um, we don't let people know when we're going to be out of town, but, uh, but we do trust the Lord and, and our um, pit bull that's that tall. No, we don't have that. I'm teasing. Um, but, but there's a reason I go ahead and share that. Day. Go, go ahead and stand up. Let me read the scripture so once I get to talking, we, we can get where we're going. I'm beginning in verse 19. We, we've already been up to verse 18. In case you weren't here, um, Paul and Silas are, are witnessing uh, in, in Macedonia. Lydia becomes a, a believer. But there was this demon-possessed girl that kept running around behind them and saying, um, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And, and after several days, Paul gets frustrated at it and he throws the demon out by the name of Christ I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Well, the deal was she was being used by men to make money by telling their fortunes or their, 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 you know, their future, like palm readers and, and all those things. There, there's people that are just charlatans that can just fool you and make you think they know something, and then there are demon-possessed people who actually 
are doing a little bit of that. Uh, either one, it's either stupid or demonic, and so you don't want to be a part of either one, right? So anytime you see that stuff, you just need to rebuke it in Jesus' name. But the people got mad because their profits just dried up. The, the girl that they were using to make money is now delivered from this demon, and so their profits dry up. So we pick up the story in verse 19. And when her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're distributing, I'm sorry, they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe, uh, to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And uh, their feet in the stocks. Man, I'm having trouble today. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And, was, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then they, he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to him, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come down themselves and take us out. I kind of like that. <laughs> sorry, it appeals to my fleshly nature right there. I'm sorry. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they learned that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. That's the lady, the first lady that was saved. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Lord, again, we, we just bow in your presence because without you, we have nothing, we can learn nothing, we can understand nothing, but in you, with you, because your spirit dwells in us, we can understand the words that you've printed here in the scripture. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you and therefore has not received the gift, the, the, the wonderful outpouring that you give us in the person, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, Lord, they have no way of understanding these words. And so now I just ask that you would grant them Grace to hear your word, Lord, that you'd move in their heart. For indeed, I can't convince them, but the Holy Spirit can take anything, convince them of the truths of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And where, and where you are now, that you died on a cross to save us from our sin, rose from the dead. You're seated at the right hand of God, and you're coming back for us all. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring those people to faith in you, and they would trust you to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today, uh, I entitled the sermon, I'm glad we got the, the, uh, the, this back up uh, for you, uh, Rejoicing in Persecution. Rejoicing in Persecution. And, and uh, there are several ways uh, that we might say that. I, I, at first, I called it profit in persecution, uh, meaning that we gain something even in our persecution. But, but we often think that when, and in fact, our Sunday school class, we were talking about this all morning this morning. We have a unique little class a meeting on Sunday mornings, and we were talking about this very subject about when bad things happen uh, uh, to good people, and and uh, and we're struggling with with that notice. But one of the conclusions we make is that Romans eight twenty eight says that all things are working together to cause good 
to the glory of God for those who are called by God according to his purpose. In other words, even if it looks bad to us, it's actually working to bring about a greater good. And before I illustrate that personally, Doug, I am going to ask you if you'll come up, brother. If this mic's not on, can you give me heat here? Uh, I think it's on. Hopefully, yes, light's on. We just had, I'll, I'll set it up for you, but we just had uh, one of our faithful men, uh, Jim Ballou. He went home to be with the Lord last Saturday. His funeral was yesterday. Um, Jim was a prayer warrior, but he had uh, uh, a broken back from an accident seven, eight years ago now, I think. And, uh, and so he was bent over. He was in pain constantly, yet he never complained about it. But, uh, but he was the most willing servant of the Lord. And last Friday, uh, Bobby Sims uh, takes care of getting our communion together, our deacon servant, and Jim was one of our deacons. And so he sent out a blast text to everybody, hey, who can help serve on this coming date? And, uh, and, and, he, and Jim replied, and so everybody on that list saw it, and it was about 24 hours before he went to be a Lord. And Doug was sharing that with me today. So, Doug, you fill it in any way you want, bro. Okay. Well, we were talking about uh, this thing of persecution and, and the reason that we, we were so afraid of it and, and we uh, try to avoid it so, so much uh, is the fact, as we learned in our Sunday school class today, that we don't, we don't enter into the rest that, that was already accomplished for us. We find in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, latter part of verse 3, that, that the children of Israel did not enter into that rest, even though the, uh, his works were finished before the foundation of the world, even. And so we were talking about that, and, and I was just relating that um, when Jim uh, passed away, and we found out last Saturday, um, uh, and it was uh, for me. It was very selfish, selfish thought in my head. To be honest with you, uh, the first thing I thought of, of was uh, my buddy's gone. The, the man that prays for me probably as much as anybody I know. And if you all knew Jim, you you know that that if uh, if you would want to pray for him, the first thing would happen would be he would encourage you and pray for you. And so I felt I felt uh, uh, you know lost there. Uh, that that was going to take place. Someone else mentioned, I think it was Janice mentioned this morning, uh, that uh, we also were going to miss that uh, amen corner back there uh, and whatnot. But uh, the Lord showed me something this week, and I, and I wanted to share this with you before I read what Jim wrote. Uh, he wrote this uh, about 24 hours before he passed away, okay, in relation to what Pastor Stewart has said. But the Lord showed me this this week, and it's related to our Sunday school class. It's, it's talking about David. Uh, and uh, Solomon, uh, David is dead now. Solomon has, has built the temple. And, uh, but David, it was in David's heart. And Solomon explains that. He says this in, in chapter 6 of Second Chronicles, verse 7 and 8. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well. You did well. That it was in your heart, and and David by that time was dead, um, but but uh, can it be? And I believe that it is true that that when we uh, uh, we need to stop thinking temporally. That's why we're so afraid of this persecution we're going to be talking about. We need to stop thinking temporally. We need to start thinking eternally because that's the, God's eternal being, and He thinks eternally because He is eternal. And this is what Jim Jim wrote uh, after Bobby had asked us uh, again. This is just twenty four. 24 hours before uh, he passed away. Jim writes, Lord willing, I would love to serve with you. And then he says, thank you, Jim Ballou. And the thought came to my mind, yes, I was selfish about those prayers, but those prayers haven't went anywhere. There's a, a bowl full of them in heaven that are, is going even now before the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the, the Heavenly Father as a sweet aroma, aroma of incense of prayers there. We haven't lost anything uh, because, again, God thinks eternally. And, and, and the thing is, whether it be Paul and the Pastor Stewart, I'm, sure, I'm not exactly sure everything he's going to say, but I'm sure he'll. Uh, uh, Paul had the confidence he was able to go through persecution because Paul knew what it was to be in that form of rest. So I just encourage you, I don't know what God has called you to do, that he's kept you from doing, that you may not ever do here on this earth, but just be encouraged by this, as, as I know my brother Jim uh, knows right now, that um, the things that are in our heart to do for God, it, it's to him as if they've already been accomplished. Amen. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Brother. Amen. 
Amen. Did you catch that first word, Lord willing, I'll be happy to serve. He, did, he didn't make it to the date of serving, sorry. He didn't make it to the date of serving, but that's Doug's point, that it was in his heart to do it. It was always in his heart to do it. And, and sometimes we are afraid of we might suffer persecution, and sometimes persecution comes, and we don't know what to do. And I'm using that word persecution very loosely because none of us, probably none of us, will be, ever be jailed because we're Christians. Uh, Paul was, people around the world, that's happening to them all the time. But as long as you live here, probably, again, very probably, because um, we none of us know for sure, that's never going to happen here. Uh, but the question is, are we serving the Lord even now? And, and if not, why not? And if we're afraid of persecution, why are we so afraid and and in our lives we just run into difficulties and I said I'm using that word persecution mean any difficulties sorry I didn't have enough drink before and so I go ahead and put up the this I want you to take this home with you today what looks like trouble is really a door to profit now whose profit I, I put that word up there just gets your attention to the Lord's profit and actually to ours it may not be profit in this world but it is to our profit at least later as we serve the Lord, he, nothing we do for the Lord is ever forgotten by God. He always remembers, and that's the rewards we get in heaven. But when we get there and we get those rewards, we realize it really wasn't anything we did. It's what God did through us in the person of the Holy Spirit and uh, by the will of God. And so we don't have any right to those rewards, so we return them to, God, to Christ. We throw them at his feet. But there are two dangers as we move forward, as we work through let's say we stay faithful as we work through it, there are two attitudes that are wrong when we're looking at this kind of thing. And, and those two attitudes are, I can do anything, and the, and the other attitude is, I can do nothing. Now, there's a reality in those, and there's also a danger of heresy in those. People like to quote, uh, and you can turn there if you like, Philippians 4.13. Um, it's a very popular one. If you're a Tim Tebow fan, you know that was, uh, he used to put that on his eye dark in college underneath his eyes and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and you hear quote a lot, and you know the verse. If you didn't know the address, you know the verse. I can do through. Well, now let's put it in context. Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've received, uh, re, re, uh, vived, I'm sorry, your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Because remember, Philippians was a thank you letter to the Philippian people because they paid for Paul to stay in a house and not a jail. And this is Paul's thank you note. So he finally gets down to thanking them in the last chapter. And he says, not that I'm speaking and being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is not saying that if you imagine it, you can do it. There are those prosperity preachers that will tell you, oh, if you speak it with your mouth, it'll happen. If you can imagine it in your mind, it'll happen. They're not the first generation. When I was a little, little kid, Norman Vincent Peale was the popular guy. The power of positive thinking. One preacher said, I find Paul appealing and Peel appalling. Uh, I, and, and so Paul is saying here, and then from him, you know, Robert Schuller, the be happy attitudes. And now we've got Brother Joel Osteen. Man, that guy can grin, can he? Your best life now. He's written another book called I Am, and he's not talking about God. And, and in fact, I saw a joke, a, satir a satirical article that Joel Osteen claimed he could fly and then he flew around the auditorium. Friend, let me just tell you that Paul is not saying that if I think it, I can do it. If I can imagine it, I can make it happen. What he is saying is, is sometimes things don't go the way I thought they were going to go. Sometimes things are kind of rough and I can get through that. Sometimes everything's going my way, man. I've got an abundance. And I don't get fooled by that either because I can handle both those extremes through Christ who strengthens me. Because both of them are a danger. 
In, in Proverbs, the, one of the writers of Proverbs said this, Lord, give me what I need. Don't give me an abundance so I forget you. And don't give me want that I curse you. Give me what is right for me to have. Some people can handle wealth. Some people can't. Some people can handle poverty, but others cannot. And so God may have made you, you know, to handle. One time I remember my, my mother asking me, why didn't God let us be rich? And I said, because you couldn't handle it. So what happens when you raise somebody becomes a preacher. They just tell you stuff like that. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, obviously, if you could handle it, he'd let you be rich. But since we wouldn't do that right, he doesn't let it. That's a weird way to look at it, isn't it? The Bible says in Hebrews, contentment with godliness is great gain. The other, I said the other danger is I can't do anything. Well, of course you can. You can do something. I, I hear people that have done extraordinary things and and uh, one speaker in particular, and he said, people walk up to him all the time and say, I could never do what you did. And he said, why are you giving up on yourself before you've even tried? He said, you're right, you can't do it because you don't think you can. And I know that athletes and other performers, that they, they in their mind, they work through things before they try to do them. And there is help in that. But what I'm telling you, God gave us a power in our mind, but our minds don't create a good thing or don't create the Bible says our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who could even know it so if you are imagining what you think is good it's not going to be good and so we got to have God's God's will in it but in God's will can we be content with God's will Job in Job 13 15 and uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn to it since I'm on my way um, One page. Here we go. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Now that's how the SV King James says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet I will hope. I will hope in him. Job so trusted God that he said, If he kills my physical body, it's okay, I still trust him. Do you trust God no matter what he gives you and what he does in your life? Because being content with God's will in your life is the key to handling persecution. If persecution came, Paul, uh, in another place the Bible tells us, don't, don't, if you're in persecution, don't whine about it if you caused it. But when you're persecuted for righteousness, don't worry about it. God's got that under control. He can handle it. Do you understand that? You make, that makes sense. Okay. So I, I wanted you to get that. And, and, and I said I was going to mention Costa Rica. I, I was just going to use my daughter as, as a, an example. Usually I would start with a personal example and I got into it too quick. So here's what happened. She uh, always, since she was a little girl, wanted to be a missionary. And she prepared her whole life to be a missionary. She, she even fell in love with northern Africa, uh, a little bit on the western end, but uh, around Niger, uh, Burkina Faso, that area. And uh, not definitely sure, like, that's exactly where, but that kind of that. She goes to a Christian college, North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina. And, and there she meets a man who has been a missionary on short trips to Africa. And he loves Northern Africa. And, oh, man, this is just, you know, a match made in heaven. And we're going to get married, and we're going to go to the mission field. So they got married. They go to seminary. And they're studying, doing their thing in seminary. And they were struggling in their work. And a church came available to them and another place, and he could still do it by extension. So he takes this position in this church, and everything the church told him, they lied. And everything fell apart, and they couldn't survive there. So they had to leave. They moved back to Greenville. They move into a dump of a place. He gets a job at the BMW factory, all the while still going to school by extension. And at that BMW factory, a parts train runs into his parts train while he's leaning over it and hits him in the head and gives him a traumatic brain injury and totally alters his personality, totally alters what he's able to do, creates PTSD, creates a lot of, of problems. In the midst of all this, they're having a couple of babies, our grandkids. And for, in five years, and then they, they get to a spot where they're, they're pregnant again for their second child, and they have to move, live where we live. They have to, we have to help take care of them for a little while. What is God doing? And then God took care of some things. They moved back. They, they were able to, to, you know, all got settled out. They were able to buy a house. And they're, they're living there. 
And I don't know, a year ago, our daughter looks at us and says, um, oh, just so you know, we're probably going to move to Costa Rica. We said, say what? <laughs> and I don't know all of their thinking, but basically, just because it didn't happen the way we thought, doesn't mean we're not supposed to do it. So people ask, well, oh, they're going with the mission board? No, because Dexter can't commit himself to that. He's afraid if he did, he couldn't do what would be required. So they went to a country that my daughter knows that language, and he at least understands it, and uh, Dexter and will probably be able can speak it now some. Also a place where there's modern medical facilities, yet a great need as well. And a lot of expatriates from North America there, and a very free country, even though they're bordered by two not-so-free countries, Panama and Nicaragua. And they moved there. They don't know anybody, don't have a church or anything. They moved there this past spring. Now my daughter's teaching English to those who need to learn English every week. And she's the communications director for a board that is attempting to raise money to help the local pastors as they, to get education and to have the things they need to do their work. Also, she's doing some other things through another Christian. And Dexter's been asked to be the missions coordinator and help in leading worship in their church. And out of bad is profit. Nothing leading up to them moving to Costa Rica was a good thing. Almost nothing. I mean, there was a lot of good things, but you understand what I mean. You step back and you go, wow. Every, and at one point, our daughter even said, I feel like I take one step forward and ten steps backwards. We take one step forward. Because they would, oh, things are going good, and boom, something else had hit them. And they'd, oh, okay, get on their feet, and boom. And it felt like they were getting driven backwards and backwards and backwards. And so you can imagine how thrilled I am to tell you that at least this opportunity is there. And, and they've begun to do, fulfill what God created them to do. But if you're not content where you are, if you don't trust God, if you don't say, well, that didn't work out quite the way I thought. If you give up, God will never use you, right? But if you keep pursuing God, running after God, God will take you where he wants you to be. Can you be content with what God gives you? Humorous story, I heard about a guy that just believed that God took care of everything. And one night, he came to come down the stairs and he slipped and he fell down the whole set of stairs. And when he hit the bottom, he said, well, thank you, Lord, that's over. If God was controlling that one, he'd fall down the stairs. That's okay. He's just glad that was passed now. All right, I'm going to get up and keep going now. And sometimes you may be laying there on the battlefield, bloody and exhausted and wondering what just happened. And you're not ready to get back up. Well, when we look at Paul and Silas, all they were doing was what God had called them to do. They're witnessing. They're seeing people get saved. And this one demon-possessed girl is annoying him not literally, but figuratively to death. He just can't take it anymore. And he rebukes this demon in the name of Jesus. The demon leaves. We covered last week why that happened, kind of how it happened. And here's the first thing I want you to see. There were problematic consequences. They come under persecution. And they come under persecution for doing good. For delivering a person from a demon. But man, and, and, and you see here that they're falsely accused. Satan will always lie about you. Uh, before any judge, any authority, including God. Uh, because for him to accuse us before God, he has to lie because I have already been forgiven for all of that. And Jesus is my lawyer. And so I'm thankful Jesus is there to take care of that when Satan is, accuses me because that's who he is, the accuser of the brethren. You know that, right? All Satan does all the time is accuse you before God. And if Jesus wasn't your lawyer, you'd go to hell. But because Jesus is your lawyer plus your sacrifice. He not only paid it, but he enforces it. That's the only reason you know that heaven is going to be yours. And so we have to have a mindset of trust and rest. Uh, uh, Brother Doug was telling us that this morning as he taught Sunday school, he was talking about God's rest. And God's rest doesn't mean what I think of. When I think of rest, I think of becoming a couch potato, Right? It means sitting in a lounge chair and just letting the world go by. That's our idea of rest. But God's idea of rest is that you cease in struggling to gain, to gain profit on your investment. 
God intended for men to live in a garden that he was already had set to be perfect and take care of. And all they had to do was tend to it, which probably meant picking the fruit and talking to the animals and enjoying each other's company. But instead, we messed that up, didn't we? And so now God says, now you're going to have to work for what you get. It's going to be labor. And our idea of rest became a ceasing from labor. But we don't cease from labor. We cease from the difficulty of labor in our rest. In other words, the example used in Scripture is that in Hebrews, God said, to whom did I say you will not enter my rest? And by rest, he meant going into the promised land. And so a rebellious generation that rejected God, he killed them in the wilderness and brought in a new generation into the promised land. And when they got there, they rested, right? No, they had to fight. They had to go to war with everybody who was already living there. But God had made a promise, I'm going to give you this land, but I'm not going to just hand you the keys, you've got to go work for it. We and because we don't think right about this, we let people not work and we feed them anyway. Rest doesn't mean I don't work. Rest means I gain on my labor. And when we rest in God, I rest in him about my sin because I couldn't work hard enough to get rid of my sin anyway. He takes care of that and I rest in him while I labor for him. We love the parts in Ephesians about being saved by grace through faith. But the last thing says, for we were created for good works. Isaiah, those who... Wait on the Lord, will renew their strength. Y'all know that verse? Isaiah 40, 31. Well, we think of that word wait as sitting down waiting, right? Well, well, we're just waiting on the Lord. And I'm going to renew my strength as I wait on him. Well, I call the person who serves me at the table a waiter. Because they wait on me. Right? Somebody say amen. Jim is not here. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate that. Whether you agree or not, appreciate the Amen. So to wait on God means I serve God. Well, that's activity. That's work. But I rest in that work because only God can make anything good come out of me. Because in me, Paul says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So my best efforts are horrible in God's eyes. But his work through me brings profit to God. Right? You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. What about you? Well, I don't belong to me. I have been bought with a price. My body is not my own. It was purchased on a cross of Calvary. So I don't belong to me. I don't get a right to myself. Those rights were surrendered by Adam to Satan. Jesus bought us out of the marketplace. That's what the word redemption means. He bought us so now we're his slaves. And he works through us to his good pleasure. Now the good part of that is. But he loves us and he blesses us and he helps us. And in the end. We have gained on God's investment in us, and he is going to be glorified in that. And so the key to living in that tension of what we think of, I can't do anything or I can do anything, is to rest and to trust in God. And let God be God and every man a liar. We, 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 we always want to prepare for the inevitable, right? You say, well, I'm not that way. Do you have a spare tire in the truck of your car? You're prepared in case something goes wrong, see? Right? So to trust in God is like, well, it's God's car. I'm not saying get rid of your spare tire, but I'm just using that to point out. We are prepared. for. I heard a guy this week. Actually, last week. I may have even said this in here. I apologize if I did. But he said, how many of you have an emergency kit in your car? And everybody raised their hand. He said, how many of you can reach it from the driver's seat? What if you get in a wreck and can't get out of the driver's seat and you need your first aid kit? You got to go get out and open the trunk to get to it. He said, I got three in my car and I can reach all of them from my driver's seat. I thought, hmm, that's preparation. Okay, so God doesn't mean for us not to be prepared. He, he, he tells us that's a smart thing to do. You, wait a minute, what, what do we got to do to do that? People like to use that verse where Jesus said, uh, you know, you got to count the cost. You got to, a man doesn't build a building until he counts the cost. You don't go to war until he's... See how many soldiers you got and how many they got and what can happen, right? So people that don't want to do anything for God, they say, well, you know, God said count the cost. So we better not do this till we know we can pay for it. No, he said count the cost. He didn't say then sit down and go, well, I counted the cost. No, it means understand the pain is going to go through and then do it. 
Okay, I'll pause so you can say amen. How about that? Because I know I'm preaching machine gun right now. Secondly, not only is there a problematic consequence, so, Paul, so what happened to Paul and Silas? They get arrested and thrown in prison and beaten. I mean, they didn't just arrest them, they beat them. You know, I heard the story about a policeman pulled a guy for rolling through a stop sign, didn't come to a full stop. The policeman pulled him and he says, you know what you did? And the guy goes, no, not really. He says, you didn't stop at the stop sign. He said, oh, come on, man. I, I slowed down. I was only going a couple miles an hour. I could see. And he said, I almost stopped. I slowed down. He said, what's the difference? And the cop grabbed him, pulled him out of the car, pulled out his nightstick, started beating him. He said, do you want me to slow down? you want me to stop? <laughs> That's just a joke to get you to relax a second. That's what happened to Paul and Silas. They didn't just arrest them. They beat them and threw them in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but I love sympathy. <laughs> I love people say, oh, you poor thing. Yeah, bless your heart. That's not, that's not nice. Don't say that. That means I'm dumb. But anyway, I am dumb. Paul and Silas are persecuted, thrown in prison. And so I don't know what you would do, but in these circumstances... They found profit. I, I don't know what they said between them because the Bible doesn't tell us what they said to each other. But it becomes midnight. And either they're awake because they hurt so bad they couldn't go to sleep. Or the situation was so bad they couldn't go to sleep. Or they're chained against a brick wall and they're having to sit up and they can't go. I don't know. Or maybe they were just like, well, now what do we do? And Siles goes, well, I know this new song that Andy taught us last week at church. You want to sing that one? Sure, let's go for it. And they start singing hymns and praising God. And maybe the worst circumstances of their life, I don't know if that would be an overstatement or not. But midnight comes and it finds these persecuted, beaten, arrested unlawfully, illegally, and under false charges men praising and singing hymns, notice, to God. It's not pack up your troubles in the old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. It's thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're an awesome God. You're a wonderful God. You're good. What you do is good. You give good gifts to your children. They're singing the praises of God. And I want you to notice in verse 40, I mean 25, and the prisoners were listening to them. I want you to know something. The world watches what a Christian does when he's in trouble. And when you're singing hymns and praising God in the midst of trouble, people go, how in the world are they able to do that? How in the world are they able to worship and praise God when nothing in their life's going right? I don't know what the worst thing is you've been through. Maybe you're in the middle of it now. But not only do they do that, God just smiles on them and sends an earthquake and all the shackles come loose. And the doors fly open. And the jailer wakes up and he draws out his sword to kill himself because if one guy escapes, the jailer's held responsible and they put him to death. And it, they were commanded, you watch over them safely. Don't let them get away. And so he knows, okay, it's done. I don't want to go through the, the torture they're going to put me through before they kill me. I'm going to kill myself quickly. And as he goes to do it, Paul hollers out from the middle, don't kill yourself, we're all still here. We didn't run. Here's the second question I got for you. In the midst of your suffering and God offers relief, do you run to the relief or do you say, Lord, I'm content. I can, I can hang out. If you got more for me, I'll wait till you tell me to get up and go. I don't have that kind of patience. I don't know about you. I, as soon as it came loose, I'm like, okay, let's jet. I'm out of there. I am running. I'm gone. Paul and Silas are like, hey, guys, just, just sit still. Hold on. If God did this, he's got a reason He's got something bigger for us. Just hold on a minute. And sure enough, I don't know if the jailer looked at him, saw him, or Paul just knew what was happening, or the Lord told him to say it, but he calls out, do yourself no harm. We are all here. And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushes in, trembling with fear, and he falls down and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I've heard preachers say that he asked that question like, what do I have to do that you make sure I don't get in trouble? But Paul just said, we're all here. Don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay here. So I believe the guy's saying, obviously your God is the real God, and what do I have to do to be saved by him? And not only did he believe, but his whole household believed. Because out of this profitable circumstance, 
Out of, and, and it goes all the way down to verse 34. They baptized him at once. Notice that, verse 33. He took him, washed their wounds, and then he was baptized. As soon as they, he, he washed their backs, took care of their wounds, and bound them up, Paul says, well, dude, you got to get in the water. we got to baptize you. And he baptizes him, and he brought him to his house, and he fed them, and they rejoiced with the entire household. He believed God. They're not rejoicing because they got out of prison. They're rejoicing because this guy got saved. And again, if you just beat me and imprison me and I get loose, I'm not going to say, man, that's great you got saved. I'm going to be saying, thanks for the meal and you owe me a little bit more, right? Not Paul and Silas. Why? Because they're content with what God's doing. And it's just like, wow, look what God did. He saved this guy. They're rejoicing more in that than anything else that had just happened to them. Because there's a plentiful supply. Look at verse 35. And when... It was day, the magistrate says, let them go. And Paul said, I ain't going anywhere. You beat me publicly, you're going to let every... And I said that in a way that may sound like Paul's like, uh-uh, you beat me, you got to stand up front. No, here's what Paul's, Paul is doing. He is making sure the church is now safe in that city. Because he, he's already taken the abuse for the entire church. And now he's going to make the officials of the city say, whoops, we made a mistake, these guys are okay. So now everybody that Paul has taught and can associate themselves with Paul, now they're okay. Do you catch what Paul's doing? Now I know that's not inherent in the text. It doesn't tell us that. But Paul's not so selfish as to do that other than he wants to make a point to make sure he, number one, I mean that's a good thing. He's not going to be beaten again because he's a Roman citizen. You didn't have a trial. You got in trouble because you did it wrong. But because Paul, instead of crying and whining and asking God, why did you do this to me? He's praising God in the midst of his persecution, and God does a miraculous work. Now, let me just tell you, you could be in a horrible situation and praise God and thank him for it. And, it, and maybe it'll take a long time before you ever see profit from God, or maybe never in this life. Hebrews 11 says, and others, I mentioned my daughter and. At the low, one of the lowest points, she and her husband on the phone with us. And she said, what is God up to? What is going on? And I said, I can't answer this question, but I know this. Hebrews 11 says, and others were beaten and persecuted and put to death, having never received the promise of whom this world is not worthy there are some people in this world that will never see relief from this kind of persecution but they will remain faithful to God till the end of their life and of those kind of people and you may never know their name and they may live in a isolated village in a country you can't even pronounce the name of but God marks them down in heaven as the world is not worthy of them and trust me there's coming a day when all accounts will be made right and God will judge with equity. And some fancy preacher in an expensive suit flying a very expensive airplane may have to take a back seat to somebody you never heard of that never preached to millions of people and didn't make a whole lot of money. And he's going to step forward because in the midst of suffering, he did not abandon God. And God says, you, I, could have, I had enough of you guys. But this guy is rare, and the world wasn't worthy of him. So, what can you do about it? And actually, I was going to do all that in about 10 minutes and spend 30 minutes on this, and we're way past already. So, I won't be able to spend as much time here as I want. Remember, God's scorecard might look different than your scorecard. I'm not sure I got all my English right on that, so I apologize if I... My grammar up there is wrong. I don't know for some reason I feel like it might be. But let me read those two verses I wrote down up there. Psalm 119, first of all, verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. God's scorecard is not that you're suffering. It's that God is working his will in your life. And we think we are doing good if everything in our life's going right. 
Sometimes it's in the suffering and in the bad part where that's when it's actually going right. That's where God is teaching you. He's giving you something that's good for you because it's going to teach you. You know, my wife is a woman and I'm a man. That's the way God intended it. It works best that way. And so when we had little children, they'd go to do something dangerous. And mom says, stop them. They're going to get hurt. And dad says, they'll learn and they won't do it twice. Now, I wouldn't let them actually hurt themselves. But you get that perspective. God knows what is best for us. He has the power to give what is best for us. And he loves us enough to want the best for us. That's what he gives us. And sometimes when we get it, it hurts us. We feel pain. We feel sorrow. We feel, feel despair. But God is moving and he's developing the image of Christ in us and moving us to a greater glory. And the, a scripture that comes to mind in Philippians 4, and this is where I was really going to hang out, but I've already mentioned, it's not the power of positive thinking, but I'll tell you this. You know, when you get a, the other day this happened, Janice said, yeah, I got that song stuck in my head. I played some silly song for her, and she said, got that song stuck in my head. I said, sing a different song, it'll get it out. So she did. She just turned on the radio or whatever, sang a song to get rid of the other one, because you know your human mind can only have one conscious thought at a time. In your conscious mind, you can only think one thing at a time. And so Philippians 4 says, beginning, I got down 6 through 8. Uh, you ought to put it in context. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He didn't say that everything would get better. He said the God of peace will be with you if you stay focused on who he is and how good he is. Follow what I'm saying? Persecution makes us think, oh man, God's not, God doesn't care about me. He's like the disciples in the boat. Lord, don't you care that we perish? I read a quote this week. How much water does it take to sink a boat God is in? <laughs> and you're in the middle of a storm in a little rowboat going, Lord, we're going to die. And he goes, why are you worried about this? I, don't you know I'm with you? There's not enough water to sink this boat because I'm in it. And it isn't time for me to die yet, so we're good. Now, that's not what he said, but that's the truth. Right? So if you're in the boat with God, don't worry about it. And just keep saying, wow, God's with me. This is good. Here, I, man, there, that, he's giving me peace. I don't have to worry about it. There's peace with God and there's the peace of God all there in Philippians 4. So the scripture is the key to getting a new mind, a new way of thinking. And then... Thirdly, trust that God is giving you his best. And that's Psalm, and I hope you're writing this down if, if, if you want to look at it later. Uh, Psalm uh, uh, 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So what God has given you is the good thing that you are supposed to get because if you are upright before God he's giving you he does not withhold anything good now the good may come looking bad but I promise you it'll be good this morning in Sunday school as we were talking I was reminded of a couple of quotes and so I looked them up you see our pride and our fear are the enemies of trust and rest either pride that I know better than God what I what I need or fear that this is going to hurt so bad I don't want to go through it both of those are the enemy of trusting God and resting in Him. Because number one, God's obviously making a mistake because He's not doing it the way I'm do I should think He should, right? Isn't that pride? God, you don't know like I know. We don't trust God to know what's best for us. And so we try to make the decisions and hope God will bless it, but we're going to do it. Or fear because we don't want to go through God's will in our life. Both these quotes are from C.S. Lewis. Here's what he said. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. 
And then he said this, pain insists upon being attended to. In other words, you don't stump your toe and go, well, that hurt. Okay, I'm going to keep going. No, you grab hold of that pain, right? You take care. You cut yourself. You know it. You're, ah, I need help. You're going to attend to the pain, right? That's what he says. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. When you're in pain, God's trying to tell you something. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to teach you something. And if you run away from what God is doing, you'll never find out God's best for you. You say, well, how long will I have to suffer? I don't know. Nobody knows. That's the problem with pain. When we're in pain and it's incessant, it doesn't cease, and it seems to be no relief coming, it's hard to deal with. This is one reason we marvel at our brother who's now there with the Father, still praying, but right in front of God so that his prayers are better heard, in a sense. He was in constant pain. His wife, his children, everybody said, but he never complained about it. His wife told me that she never heard a doctor or nurse asking, what level of pain do you have? If you've never been in a position where they got to ask you that question, it's a scale of 1 to 10, 5 is pretty bad, 10 is unbearable, 0, 1 means eh, nothing. She said, I never heard him say less than a 7. Yet he never said, I hurt really badly, you know, owie, ooh, ow. He might say, I, need, I think I might need another pill, but that's it. Now, that's just a human example, but one reason we were all in admiration of him is we knew he was in constant pain, yet he kept being faithful day in and day out, and God used him greatly. And God will use you if you won't lose your trust and faith in him, and you'll say, no matter what in my life, yet I'll praise you. As Job said, though he slays me, yet I'll trust him. Because guess what, guys? The mortality rate is still 100%. Nobody in this room is going to escape this world without dying unless Jesus comes back for us. Right? So the only thing we can control is how we live from now to then. And what choice will we make? Will we trust God with this brief amount of time we have between when I was born and when I die? Or will I try to engineer the circumstances? And when we leave it up to God, he gives the best to those people that leave it up to him.